Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is a return guest, Allison Brennan. Allison is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author. Allison believes that life is too short to be bored, so she has five children and writes three books a year. 45 books and numerous short stories later, Allison relocated in 2019 from Northern California to Arizona with her family and assorted pets. Welcome back, Allison. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. I love coming on to your show. It's always so much fun. Yeah, and actually, Allison, you interviewed me for Up Close, my last book. So we are on the air often together, and I um, I really enjoy it too. And we got to meet for the first time in real life at Thriller yeah. Fest this year, which was super fun. So, okay, this book happens in my backyard um, in Big Sky and, and Montana. Tell our listeners about North of Nowhere. So North of Nowhere was a labor of the heart. I had the idea years and years ago, and it was going to be my first standalone. I just had this great idea, I thought, and um, I could completely picture the kids in my head and what them going through the woods, but that's all I knew about the story. But then seven years later, it's coming out. Literally seven years from the, when I conceived of the idea until now that it's going to be published. And... Um, it takes place in Big Sky, Montana, like like you said, or the big the area of you know, the greater area, and it starts with a plane crash of a a guy. You don't realize he's well. You probably realize it's actually not a big secret. In the first couple of chapters, he's not their dad, but he's been protecting them for five years, and their father has found them. So now they're running, and the plane crashes in Lost Lake, um, which is a real little area in Montana. Um, I actually. <laughs> I know I'm digressing. I set the book there because of the name of the lake. And the yeah. book was originally called Lost Lake. Yeah. And I love the title and my publisher changed it on me, but that's okay. I um, love North so, of Nowhere though. That really works. That's, you know, that is it a really, it's got a good like alliteration and stuff. So, okay. So tell us more about this book. Oh, well, um, so that, that was really kind of the, the, the start of the idea was that, okay, there are going to be two kids on the run and, trying to get away from their criminal father. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that that you know come clear throughout the book. Um, but what I really, really wanted, I think in this story more than other stories I've written is I really wanted to write about family, forgiveness, um, the, the good and the bad. You know, I, no one is 100% bad. And I really kind of wanted to show that um, in, in this story and sort of the conflicting motivations. And so it was kind of, you know, I... I hope I was successful in that. Um, I don't usually write a teenager as one of the lead characters. Um, I have had teenagers in my stories and you you have kids, I have kids. I mean, I'm very yeah. comfortable writing kid in kids' points of view. Um, but this was probably the first one where Kristen, who's 16, is one of the main characters. Yeah. And getting into her head and just being, trying to be authentic to Obviously, she's not a typical teenager considering her background and stuff. Right, but right. Being authentic, I, I think I nailed it. I had my daughter, who's twenty, um, read over some early chapters and help me with some of the things. And you know, so I was really, really excited about that. Um, 
anyway, so there's a bunch of people looking for the kids before the blizzard comes in. And that was a lot of fun to research. Um, I think I think when I was wrote the first draft, I basically just used the word cold a million gazillion times. Right, and right. also, I was never raised in a snow climate. I'm from Northern California. We went to Lake Tahoe when it mm -hmm. wasn't snowing. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I was not used to it. But my husband, who was raised in Montreal and he went to college in Bozeman, he knew a lot more about what it was like to be in a cold climate. So I used him and I edited, he read an early draft and he gave me some advice on how to describe it. <laughs> right. And it is, I mean, that's, it was, it was, I mean, it, it felt very authentic. I have been, you know, I've, I've been here 20 years, so I've been there when the cold is, is so cold and you do see, especially tourists come and they're wearing like jeans, you know, and you're like, that is, you're going to be really miserable in about six seconds, you know, um, but, I, <laughs> but that this is, so I want to talk a little bit about the, you set this book originally in the Adirondacks, you mentioned in the acknowledgments, um, and it was Kristen, really, the 16 year old who kind of formed the story in your head, and she was the seed for the story, right? Yeah, so the, my idea was really around her. And mm -hmm. um, originally the whole story was about her Her father had left her to be raised by her grandparents. I mean, this is not the story that I yeah. uh, raised by her grandparents after his wife died and she resented that, you know, and resented that he was never around. Then a whole bunch of stuff happens and they get back together and the plane crashes, but it doesn't crash until page um, 100. And my agent read the early, um, the early version of it. I have never been to the Adirondacks. I have been to the mountains many, many, many times, just not when it's been snowing. Right, <laughs> I, right. I like it when when it's not that cold. I, I can handle the cold as long as it's not wet. Um, so I was really comfortable writing about the mountains in Montana and Northern California, that whole, yeah. the, you know, Sierra Nevadas, I'm very yeah. Rocky Mountains, very comfortable with that. But the Adirondacks are completely different. And I had this whole idea and they were on the run from bad guys. And my agent read it and goes, you know, you know, I like your characters, but this story just isn't doing it for me. The motivation of the bad guys, it's very unclear. They're very two-dimensional. And it doesn't get started until page 100 when the plane yeah. crashes. And I'm like going, I really liked all the setup. You know, you when they say, right? Darlings, you yes. have to. Yeah, it's like the setup, yeah. I loved it because it introduced all the characters. And I had this, I was basically building tension, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't do a very good job. Um, so that you knew where all these people were in their lives at the culmination of the plane crash. And then, so right. I kind of sat on it for four years and I didn't know what I was going to do. And then all of a sudden something clicked when I said, what is the core story? What is the core story and what do I want um, to write about? And when I realized I really wanted to write about family and I wanted to focus on Kristen, um, it kind of just, and I moved it to Montana, which I was a lot more comfortable writing about. All of a sudden, it just all clicked. And so yeah. I started with the plane crash. So the plane crash is almost identical to the original version of the, in the book, but that's the only thing. I was going to say, it sounds like a totally different book. I mean, there's <laughs> no grandparents raising Kristen. It's, now, I, um, I'm curious because, um, you know, you're so prolific. I know you write three books a year. You have 45 books. You're, it's insane. You're probably at 47 now. You got to update your, or 48, 50. Where north, are you? North of nowhere is 45. So okay, north, north of, of nowhere north. is 45, but I do have the next two books done. So 46 and 47 are already written. So crazy. And with my editor. 
<laughs> I yeah. Someday you're gonna have to like shoot me up with whatever it is you use to write so fast. But um, <laughs> but basically, I'm curious about this because you know this because of your sort of your how prolific you are. Have you done this before where you've written a book and and had set it aside because it didn't work? Um, I used to do that a lot before I was published. I would start yeah. writing, and then what would happen? Because I don't plot. So what would happen is I say, oh, I know what's going to happen. This is boring. So I put it aside, 50 pages, 100 pages. I once put aside a book over 300 pages and just said, okay, this just doesn't work out. I was going to get rid of it. This was probably the first book that I just love the characters so much. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was a good core story. I just didn't know how to tell it in 2016. And then when it just clicked and I, I could see all the other characters that had never I hadn't written about and how they were all going to work into the story and all of a sudden I said I know exactly what I need to do and first I need to start with the plane crash and I need to have a personal reason for them running yeah and um that once I made it personal it all clicked and so I said that hey that's what the story is and so I it took me a year because I had to deadlines to write. Yeah. I wrote two other, other bo books. I was going to say other <laughs> books that you were. Yeah, exactly. And so I wrote this in between all my other deadlines. And um, it was actually already contracted with St. Martin's, but we had kind of put it aside because I, my agent, and I didn't like, obviously my agent didn't like it. And so if he didn't like it, I trust him explicitly if it wasn't working. Um, but we had other books with St. Martin's, so it didn't really matter that we just kind of rejiggered the schedule and then right. did the standalone kind of at the end of the contract rather than at the beginning, like it was supposed to be. <laughs> right, right. Hold, hold on, Allison. Okay, all my dogs are freaking out. I'll let you guys out. They're all like, we want to be outside. Okay, go on, go on. Okay, sorry about that. My dogs end up being characters in the podcast because they're uh, they want to be with me until they're like now let me outside so that is okay so I love that this story like just stayed with you it must have been sort of just sitting in the back of your mind like a puzzle waiting to be solved did you just wake up one morning or is it sort of something that sort of you revisited over those years um I kind of looked at it again in 2019 like the year before I came up with the idea and I started thinking okay what can I do how can I make this personal. And I had all these ideas kind of running around in my head and nothing worked. I did try rewriting the opening and I said, okay, none of this is working. I have deadlines. I'm going to put it aside. Right. And so it was really, it was really kind of just waking up and knowing, I mean, it was, I said, you know, and I, I think what, I think what it was is I had just finished a book, one of the Lucy books. And so I turned it in and I had all this time before I had to like I started researching the next book, but I didn't really have to start writing it. So I started researching the next book and then I, it just kind of clicked in, in mm -hmm. that like window of time. And I said, you know what? I think I can do this. So I basically rewrote the opening. And I said, Oh, I like this. I like this a lot. Then I had to go back to my book and write the next book, but it was in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. So when I, once I knew what I had to do, it wouldn't leave me alone. So I yeah. basically wrote it in between these other books that I had to write. And then I, so it was kind of piecemeal, which I hate doing. I usually like to write my books, you know, very linear. So I wrote it like, you know, a couple chapters here, a couple chapters there. And then yeah. I like read and rewrote the whole thing. And mm -hmm. I said, I think this is it. And I sent it to my agent and he said, two thumbs up, 
this is it. He had me like tweak a couple little things because things were a little confusing. Um, and then we sent it off to my editor and that's and awesome. usually it's funny because my agent doesn't usually read my books before I send them to my editor when they're contracted. He right. reads them before if, you know, I'm doing something completely different. Like the third to die was the first Quinn and Costa. Mm -hmm. I wrote that book on spec and then we went wide with it. Um, so he read that and he read the first books in each of my series. But once they're, once I'm contracted, oh yeah, yeah. you know, you have these books. He doesn't, he doesn't read them. He'll right. Because yeah. it's really it's not that he doesn't care. No, but it's really what your editor thinks, right? And sometimes I think it's confusing to get feedback from your agent, make those changes, and then send it to your editor only to get different feedback, which is sometimes contradictory to what the agent says. So it's yeah, I totally understand why Dan would choose to do that. That makes total sense to me. Um, but I'm so curious. So also, this is your own. I mean, in your publishing career, this is your only standalone, which is so interesting, Allison. Because I mean, a lot of people do series one after the other but you are like the series queen so what is like did you not think how could i make this a series like what made this one different so i was like, well, I knew, like let's make it a series let's make it a series um i think it just felt like a finite story yeah. it was a one story to tell of how these um of what happened to these kids and how it's going to be resolved and it takes place over 24 hours essentially a little more mm -hmm. um I wrote a bunch of trilogies early in my career. There were romantic trilogies and they were in a sense standalones in mm -hmm. that they were, you know, a separate hero and heroine had their own story, but they were connected to the other books in the trilogy. So sure. I had all the same little characters in the same world. And that's actually kind of how I created Lucy Kincaid because yeah. one of the trilogies was about the Lucy, the Kincaid family and each, you know, sibling had a role. Um, but the other siblings were in all the other books. Right, and I like right. it. I kind of like that, you know, Nora yeah, like really connected. Yeah, like yeah, connected. Yeah, loosely connected. Yeah, and that's like my so I like. Yeah, and it's it's fun because you get to kind of build this little mini world. And then I found that each of my trilogies was kind of connected to the other ones. Right. Because <laughs> I kept wanting to revisit my characters. And that's how I think I started writing series is that I like revisiting the characters and I yeah. like having this kind of world that I've built and so the my first 12 books which were all romantic thrillers are all in a sense connected to the Lucy Kincaid series and some of those characters I'll bring in you know depending on if I need them or not so it's been a lot of fun and then when I decided okay I'm going to do the Maxine Revere series she was completely separate Right. Until I decided I was going to bring Lucy into one of the books. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're like, oh, wait, I got to get Lucy in here. So tell, so tell us this, because I, I knew that you started your um, career in romantic suspense and then shifted to sort of straight, more straight thrillers. Tell, like, what was that transition about? Like, did you, was that so, did sort of natural for you or how did that happen? Well, I've always wanted to, I mean, I've always loved romantic suspense, but I've always liked the romantic suspense, like Lisa Gardner. Mm -hmm. you know, or an Irish Johansson, where the romance is secondary to the core story. And you're really on the uh, kind of the, the hero's journey with one of the characters, and mm -hmm. usually the woman, I mean, the, you know, like Lucy, it's her journey in the story. And Sean has obviously important parts, but it really was Lucy. Um, and I, I like that in the romantic suspense. And I also don't write a lot of sex in my books. I mean, there's always in the romantic suspense, there's always going to be a, you know, a sex scene or something, but in 400 pages, I remember once I got a review, it's like, oh my gosh, there were sex in this book. It's like, I mean, literally six pages in a 400 page novel yeah. was a love scene. And it was, I always, I like, 
I call my Nora Roberts love scenes, which they're really more emotional and right. rather than, you know, not explicit. so much explicit. Exactly. Explicit. It's yes. more the emotional connection between these characters. And I, I like that because you want to see your characters have that connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even in my series that are more straight up thriller, like Quinn and Costa, they're involved, but that's the subplot to the mm-hmm. overarching story. And so their relationship is part of the story, but it's not the story. And, you know, if they have sex on the page, it's because it's advancing the story and it's advancing their relationship, not because, okay, I have to put one in because this is what the genre expects. It's, it's there if it's needed. It was sort of like, it sounds like it was more of a natural shift for you to sort of, you know, move a little bit more towards the, like you said, the, the, I love the idea of the hero's journey from the, you know, in a woman's point of view. And I think the thing that you do really well with your series is that there's a hero's journey in each book, even though, you know, there's a sort of, you know, there's an overarching, you know, arc of the character like Lucy, we still get something, some big shift in each book. Cause I think that's the trick to a series, right? Is that it's not like, oh, you know, Lucy ends up in the same place at the end of the book as she started, right? We, we want to see yeah. the character shift. Yeah, and you you definitely, and I mean, honestly, I read all the J.D. Robb books, the mm-hmm. Nora Roberts, um, Eve and Rourke series. And she does such a masterful job with that. But she does it a little bit slower progression. So it's like some books have more of a big sh- emotional shift for one, of the, one or more of the characters. Right. Like the one book was where Rourke found out what happened to his mother he thought his mother was somebody else. And so that was his kind of emotional journey. Mm -hmm. And then he has to deal with that in a couple of books, you know, as he's accepting that and how that impacts his life. And then obviously Eve with her um, learning more about her past and what happened, you know, that is kind of a shift. So she kind of juggles it so beautifully um, that you, you can see over the entire series, how these characters have grown and shifted and changed, but, sometimes some books are more powerful in that shift than others. And I kind of, you know, I learned a lot from her just from reading her, how I can emulate that in with my characters that you want to have the, you know, the big shift, like with Lucy was in the first three books where she finally could admit that she was lovable and she could be loved and loved back. And then with Sean in the later books, when he had to kind of atone for some of the bad things he did, in college <laughs> so right. then, you know you have you kind of you know, ebb and flow and stuff so I I do enjoy uh working in series but a standalone is completely different um I don't know that it's well it's hard it was harder for me because I yeah. had never done something of this magnitude before like a big story told in a short period of time where I knew I had to resolve all of the major questions yeah, and it's a, it has like an, I mean, all of your books have great action, but this had a really sort of adventure. It's the setting, you know, the 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 danger of, you know, nature is a big villain in this book too, right? Because, and you, you know, you do a really good job. You cannot underestimate a storm and snow blindness. And, you know, it really is, if you're out there at the wrong time, it's, it, there's a really good chance you're not coming back. So I thought that was, and that, you know, of course, ratchets up the tension very naturally and and very beautifully so i have a question about i'm going to go back to series for a second because i i'm curious about this and i i since you're a person who you don't you're a pantser you don't sort of plot out your stories 
do you have an, an arc for the series or do you sort of like, as you start a new book, you think, how is this going to shift the whole, you know, sort of the whole group and the, because that's, it's sort of, if you're winging that, which I'm going to guess maybe you are, that's really tricky. I do wing it. I don't know what's going to happen. The only thing I knew in the Lucy series was in the first three books, I knew that was going to be her story arc. Yeah. Um, but I didn't quite know how that was going to fall into place. I didn't quite know how that was going to resolve itself. Um, because one thing is I sold three books. So I wanted to make sure that if it ended after three books, that she and Sean were in a good place. Right. And then I sold three more books. So I, that kind of had a little three book story, mini story arc with those three, which was silenced, stopped and stolen so that I could have that little story arc just in case they didn't buy more books. I know that sounds like really weird, but I want to give the readers some sort yes. of conclusion yeah. in each of these like little things. So whenever I sell a three book series, I say, okay, well, I'm never going to assume I'm going to sell more books. So I want to make sure that I give the readers a satisfaction at the end of this little arc. So and you're kind of thinking kind of through, you have to sort of, you're thinking through that at least in groups of three, a little bit, but you're still kind bit, of, yeah. Yeah, but you're still kind of giving it up to like, well, it's it's the richness of the backstory probably that helps you create that arc, right? If you create a really rich backstory, which you of course have with, you know, Lucy and, and Eve and all of them, is that you then are like, okay, this is where, you know, I, there's going to be an opportunity here to to pull something into the next book and the next book. So you at least know you're carrying through three three books with an arc that will satisfy the reader. You have a lot of faith. I, that's what I hope. That's what yeah. I definitely hope. <laughs> you have a lot of faith then. I mean, you know, or you just, so what happens when you're, you know, as you're finishing a book for a series um, and you, you know, you're running, you're doing the process of, you know, revisions or whatever, and you're starting to think about the next book. Are you kind of thinking like, where did I leave these characters and what can be the next thing? Is it sort of like, you know, is it like um, episodic? Does it feel episodic to you? I think it, it is a little episodic. Um, I, it's, that's really hard to say because I just finished um, the first book in what is going to be either a trilogy or a series, depending on how it does again. Like I sold three books in the Angel Heart series. It's a private investigating um, family of private investigators. And I knew it. The only thing I knew about the story going into it um, was, well, first that I wasn't going to have law enforcement as main characters because I have my Quinn and Costa series. So I knew I said, okay, these are private investigators um, was at the end of the first book, I knew that Margot, who was one of the five kids, that um, that she was going to kind of come back into the fold. She had her own PI business, and she had was going to be part of the family, but they had a major disagreement on how to handle something, and so she just walked. She said, I'm going to have nothing to do with you. Um, so by the end of the first book, all I knew was she was going to come back, and when I was writing it, I had no idea how she was going to do that and it was kind of like okay how is she going to get back to the family I mean I called it the prodigal daughter and I think the title's going to change on that too but I was calling it the prodigal daughter and I knew that you know you come back and you're forgiven and your and your family's always there for you and that's kind of the theme is your family is there and um no matter what right. and she's from a big Mexican-American family and I liked all the characters and how she kind of hung out with all of her siblings, but separately because she mm -hmm. didn't want any of the family drama. And I had no idea how I was gonna resolve it until I got there. 
until I That's... got to the scene. And it was like one of these scenes where the her mom is talking to the uh, another character that had, um, well, I don't get it now. We're talking about multiple decks. So anyway, her mom was talking to this person. And as she's listening to her mom, she is, it's this forgiveness that kind of waft comes over her that she can forgive her mother because now she understands her mother. So right. it was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I had yeah. no idea that's how it was going to be. But once she finally, she could put herself in her mother's shoes, it was like, okay, now I guess I can right. see right. how, you know. That so is kind like, of how it happens too, right? I mean, you <laughs> raised five kids, you know exactly. I mean, at some instinctual level, you know how these things how the, you know, how this family drama work, you know, plays out. So writing three books a year, and I feel like I ask you every time I talk to you, because I maybe I'm just keep thinking <laughs> if I keep hearing it, it'll help me be uh, more prolific. Um, so how do you, like, what is, what's a day in the life of Alison Brennan when she's, you know, in a book? Um, well, I get up early every morning. I used to be a night, this is so funny. I used to be a nighttime writer. I used to, you know, get up with the kids, but it would take me a long time to get moving. And Dan used to, my husband used to take the kids to school and then he'd be bringing me back Starbucks and then I would have to have my Starbucks and I'd do all my stuff. I didn't even get started writing until 10 or 11 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I'd write for a four hour block, then do all the kids stuff in the afternoon and then write at night and sometimes stay up until midnight or one. Um, but as I started getting older, <laughs> yeah, I hear and this. then moving to Arizona, kind of everything kind of shifted and I ended up becoming a morning writer. So I get up at by five every morning and I walk. Um, and then I'm usually sitting down at my computer by seven. And I have found that I don't have the creative juice in the evening. It's yeah. all coming now in the mornings Yeah, and you know, you just, you adjust, but I still put in the time. So I'm still putting in the eight hours, eight to nine hours a day. Wow. Um, it's just different. I do it more in the morning, afternoon. And yeah. then sometimes in the evenings, if I'm really on a roll or if I have a really good idea, I'll like write after dinner. But it's now it's rare. It yeah. used to be, always be after dinner. I was back at my computer. The kids were older. So I said, you guys go watch TV, do your homework, do whatever. Right. I'm working. I'm working. Um, and so when you do an, you know, a day like that, is it, are you sort of, do you sit, keep in mind, like, I'm going to get to a certain word count or scene, or it's just like, I'm here until it's four o'clock or whatever. I write until I can't write, you know, okay. cause I don't plot. Mm -hmm. I, but I do put in the time. Um, yeah, I'd like, I would love to say, oh yes, I write 2000 words every single day. No, that's not mm -hmm. how it works. I can sit at the computer for eight hours and be writing and rewriting like what I wrote the day before and have a negative thousand word count. Oh yeah. Um, Isn't that brutal? You're like, God and, damn it. And then sometimes uh, I can sit down and I'm like going, oh my gosh, I can totally see this. And I could write 5,000 words in four hours. Yes. So it, it, I, I, I figure if I put in the time the book mm -hmm. is going to come. Yeah. And so sometimes it's a negative word count and sometimes I exceed what I even, I think I can do. Right. Um, but I, I, but you put in the time and that's why I always you, tell new writers, you have to put in the time. And you just, you basically are like, you shut out the rest of the world and you are just like you in the book. And when you can't figure out what's coming next, you sort of go back over and, and rework sentences and that kind of thing until something comes. Is that sort of, or do you stay out the window? What, you know, <laughs> 
<laughs> I think or walk. You probably the walking probably helps, right? Sort of do you yeah, well, I will usually walk in the morning. It's yeah. too hot in the summer to walk in the mm -hmm. afternoon, but yeah. I'll take I'll take breaks and stuff, and you know I'll like take a break and watch baseball, and um, yeah, because I love my Giants, and um, you know, I'll, I'll do different things, or you know, I'll go do something with one of the kids, you know. So if I know it's just not coming, mm -hmm. I'm much better now than I was earlier in my career of just saying, okay, I just need a break. I'm going to go to the right. grocery store. Yeah. You know? Right. 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 I'm going to go fold some laundry. I totally get that. Yeah. Oh, well, I would never do that. I, oh, I, I have never once said, you know what? I'm stuck. I think I'm going to clean. I don't think I've ever said that. In well, my I, yeah, I, I don't want I'm cleaning not so much, but I somehow feel like folding laundry is like a way to like your hands are moving, but your brain is completely free. Whereas if I'm in the grocery store, I feel like I have to pay at least some attention of, to what things I'm picking up. But it's, sometimes it's, it's cathartic <laughs> to just fold laundry, but cleaning. Yeah. That's not so much fun for me either. Um, <laughs> so this, okay. So I have to say, I mean, I really, and I, I love all your books and this one felt, I mean, so weird to say, but it felt different to me and maybe that's because I knew it was a standalone and I was like this is all you're going to get about you know about these these amazing characters and but also I think it was that um it was the setting you know it was like a very it was very much the idea that all of it happened so fast in the storm and all that it was just a, a really compulsive read so I think I'm glad you didn't you know round basket it forever <laughs> And then it came back to you. So tell us, okay. So this is out um, August. I'm missing the date. Um, August 8th. August 8th. Okay, that's fantastic. And actually, when you're listening to this, it's August 10th. So it's available right this second. Go get your copy. It's so fabulous. And then Allison, if we can keep track of this, tell us what is coming next. <laughs> well, thank you. First of all, thank you. I'm glad you like the book because I, I, it is kind of the book of my heart in some ways because it was something that I really wanted to write and wasn't sure that I could. And that's, yeah. I think one of the things is that as a writer, you want to challenge yourself, but it's, it's hard. You want to sometimes stay in your comfort zone and, you yeah, know, Lucy scary. Kincaid was a comfort zone. I, yes. I can write Lucy for, you know, 50 books because yeah. I just know her. Yeah. So getting out of your comfort zone, I think creatively create, I can't speak. Creatively, creatively I got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, is so important for writers and yeah. But it's also a challenge and it's hard. And then you get worried. It's like, did, did you do it right? And are people going to like it? And are right. they going to say, oh, well, but it's not Lucy or it's not Queen right. Costa. And, right. and, you know, you so you have these in, in my head. It's one of those things that I it was a, a leap of faith to do. And, but I tell writers you need to do it because you have to love what you're doing. Yeah. So after this, um, I have. Uh, the next Quinn and Costa comes out at the end of January. That's called The Missing Witness. Exciting. And it's available for pre-order now. It's for people that read the Quinn and Costa series. Kara goes back to Los Angeles to testify against the human trafficker she had put in prison. Um, nothing that you expect is going to happen happens. Okay. Uh, so that, that I think is, is fun because she really needed to address that final, basically the case that put her on leave in the first book. Yeah. She had to, she had to come back and address that. Um, then my first angel heart book, which I do not have a title for yet comes out in May. And that's a family of private investigators set in Phoenix, which is where I live now. And it's so been fun. a lot of fun because my daughter is a Phoenix PD officer. So she's taken me around. 
I know the area now really well. And I had so much fun uh, writing the story and setting it here. Um, yeah. You know, hopefully people will really in, enjoy that too. Yes. I'll bet. I'll bet. Um, and that's, and that takes us only through the next three books, Allison, I'm sure. Now, so what are you writing now? <laughs> I am currently writing the next Quinn and Costa book, which comes out in 2025. Gosh. So I'm writing that. That's due at the end of the year. And then I'll work on the second Angel Heart book. So uh, exciting. So exciting. Yeah. Well, Allison, as always, it's super fun. I I really do not know. I mean, I feel like you must have like, you know, caffeine in your veins or something. It's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's just put it in my mind that one day this week, I'm going to spend eight hours on my computer and see what happens. Um, super <laughs> exciting to talk to you. I loved as I North of nowhere and everybody has to know Alison Brennan because I can't believe anybody's not heard of her, but if you've not ever read an Alison Brennan book, you have a big long list ahead of you. I'm sure it's on your website, right? AllisonBrennan.com. And you yep. can find Allison on, I know she's on uh, Instagram, AB writes. AB writes on Instagram because okay. somebody had taken my name. So I had to <laughs> jerks. And then um, on Facebook, you're on Facebook too, as Allison Brennan. Yeah, Allison right? Brennan. Okay. Yeah. Facebook and just to get a clue, that is Allison Brennan's list of books. Um, and she published her first book after I published my first book. And I'm on 16 and she's on 45. So I'm just, you know, this is not a comparison. <laughs> but she definitely wins the prolific award. So Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank it was you. So, thank so you so much for having me. Absolutely, always. Everybody, thanks for uh, joining us here on Killer Women with Allison Brennan, and we will see you next time. Bye.